Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Hello and welcome to What Goes Up, a weekly markets podcast. My name is Mike Regan. I'm a senior editor at Bloomberg. And I'm Voldana Hayek, a cross-asset reporter with Bloomberg. And this week on the show, well, Voldana, I'm not sure if listeners quite understand what our work environment is at Bloomberg. We're all in this sort of open area. There's not even cubicles. There's just desks. No tweets, No privacy. None. And as a result, you can often overhear other conversations, other reporters' conversations. And I guess it's kind of rude to eavesdrop, but I mean... I do it. Uh, yeah, we all do it. I listen to your lunch orders. <laughs> but a lot of times what you overhear, what you eavesdrop on is super boring. You know, oh, why did the stock market go? Monday, and I'll say, not boring. Sure. Why is the market up today? Yeah. What do you think of this stock? You know, what does this uh, economic data mean for the market? That sort of thing. It's very mundane stuff. But about a decade ago, I was sitting near a guy next row over from me uh, who was on the phone, I'd say 10 hours a day, heavy Boston accent. He was the most fun reporter to eavesdrop on I've ever had in my career. Everyone else is asking about, you know, the latest earnings and, you know, what does the jobless claims number mean? And this guy would be talking about scam artists Crime. and strip clubs and drugs. Wow. It, I, I wish I had recorded some of these interviews. It was, it was the most entertaining reporter eavesdropping I think I've had in my career. I can only imagine. I'm so jealous. I'm dying of jealousy right now because I'd love to hear some of this stuff. Well, don't be too jealous because... We have him. We have him on the show this week. Because he wrote a book that was... I read a lot of books, not to brag, you know. Oh, you, I know you do. I read a lot of books. But this was like the best book I've read this year. It was so fun. I read it so fast. Maybe one of these days we'll let our audience know what book it is and who the guy is. <laughs> without, without further ado. It's Zeke Fox. He is our Bloomberg colleague, and he's the author of the brand new book, Number Go Up, Inside Crypto's Wild Rise and Staggering Fall. Zeke, I'm so happy you could join us. Thank you so much for coming. Thanks for having me and for putting up with my really loud conversations all those years. <laughs> no, and I apologize for eavesdropping on you all those years. But no, it's impossible. Not? He's not sorry. Yeah. <laughs> no, he's not sorry. What was like, do you remember any of the... Well, so Zeke was pretty famous as an investigative journalist in our circles, in the financial world, long before crypto. And I think the probably the stuff I was eavesdropping on might have been like the payday lender scams were uh, one of the first things you really started digging deep into, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, I have to admit that, like you said, it's impossible. Everyone's going to hear it. <laughs> and I talk pretty loud. I can't control myself. But also, I know that everyone's listening. So. I, I want to sit next to you. I'm going to request it. Every a new reporter transfer. should have to spend like a well, month sitting next to Zeke and just yeah. listening to how he interviews. It's a work of art. I, I learned a lot from uh, Max Abelson, who would sit yeah. near me. It was yeah. also very, like, a loud talker. 
and was great at getting these billionaires to tell him all their secrets. He would be really interested in their stories, but also he wouldn't let them off the hook. He'd be like, don't just tell me that the new CEO of Goldman Sachs is a nice guy. Like, how is he nice? Was he nice to you last Thursday? What did he do that was so nice? How did his eyes look while he made that nice (laughs) statement? Okay, so you have your very, you're famous in the newsroom and outside the newsroom for these strings of very interesting, intriguing stories, very interesting characters. Mike mentioned the payday lenders. You have so many. But so your new focus is crypto. And I want to ask you, what made you go down the crypto rabbit hole? Resisted looking into crypto. Like you said, I have always really liked scams and people would tell me crypto is perfect for you. But there's something about it that I didn't like it because I, I like when you've got like a kind of complicated scam and you have to look through all the paperwork and figure out like the loophole they're using. And with crypto, they're just like, hey, buy my new coin. And then like suddenly they're a billionaire. I got into it like everybody else through FOMO. I had this buddy who we have like a group chat and he was texting us all about something he called doggy coin. And this is like the height of the pandemic dudes, you got to get some of this doggy coin. It's so funny. It's going to go up. And I'm like, it's Dogecoin. (laughs) And this already went viral like several years ago. They made fun of it on The Daily Show. It was not even funny to begin with. This will never happen again. But like, he was right. Dogecoin went up and he made a fair amount of money. And he's sending us pictures from Disney World. He's like, (laughs) He said, I'm freaking Nostradamus. You know, if you, if you had listened to me and bought Dogecoin, you'd all be rich now. And you'd all be in Disney World. Yes, which would be a... I do not want to go there. So. No, the prices are like it's extortion, so yeah. he must have made a lot of money. This primed me to be like, you know what? I really want to prove I am still right. This stuff is dumb. I'm going to look into it. And then I, Joel Weber, the editor of Business Week, came by and was like, he had an idea for a crypto story. And like in the past, I might have turned it down. But this time I was like, no, I'm going to look into it. And once I did, like the first part of it was to go to one of these crypto conferences. And I was just like, as soon as I started, I was like, oh, my God, this is a crazy world. Whatever you think about crypto, these people are making like billions of dollars. This has got to be like one of the craziest things that's happened in the history of finance. It turned into like a two year trip down the rabbit hole. By the end, I was in like Cambodia. As one does, yeah. But so that initial story from Joel was about Tether, which listeners who are unaware, it's a stable coin, which is a crypto coin that's meant to track the US dollar exactly one to one, no more, no less. And the idea is that, hey, maybe you made a bunch of money in crypto and now you want to store it in US dollar or stable value, or you want to move it from one exchange to the other or Whatever you want to do, you want to keep it in that $1 increment. So Joel came to you about Tether, and that put you onto the trail of a guy named Brock Pierce. So talk to us about Brock Pierce and your sort of pursuit of him to to find him and ask him about what's going on with Tether. The best resume I've ever seen of anyone in finance. (laughs) He started off early. He was a child actor. He's in the Disney classic, The Mighty Ducks, and he plays the coach Gordon Bombay in a flashback where he misses this crucial penalty shot that haunts him decades later. Don't give it away. Oh no, it's right at the beginning of the movie. Don't worry. (laughs) So he went on, it wasn't just like this one movie. He starred in one called First Kid. He had kind of like a Macaulay Culkin look, but then he quit acting as a teenager. 
he gets hired at this dot-com startup called Den. He's given like this great title, $250,000 a year salary. What happens at Den, truly bizarre. Not even sure it's appropriate to talk about in this podcast. You'll have to read about it. Yeah. But by the end of it, he's fled to Spain with the founder of Den, <laughs> and he's gotten really into massively multiplayer online games. He ran a virtual item trading company. Basically, you want to get ahead quick in this game, EverQuest or World of Warcraft, you could pay real money to buy the Mega Sword and then, you know, bump up to level 17 really quick. This became big business. And he eventually hired Steve Bannon randomly to be like the chairman of the company. They made a big, I think they sold it to did they sell it to Goldman Sachs or Goldman Sachs broker the deal? Anyway, he gets out of this deal rich and he sees the potential of making real money from the virtual world. And he becomes one of the earliest investors in crypto. There's some debate over how much credit he gets, but he's a co-founder of Tether, which is this first stable coin. So when I went to go look into Tether, the big mystery was like, by the time I'm looking into it, Tether claims that they have $50 billion in the bank somewhere, but they won't say where. So I'm trying to find this $50 billion. And at the time, people are really worried about this. Jim Cramer's on TV being like, this could crash everything. Like, where's Tether's money? They won't say. Even Janet Yellen held a meeting of all the top financial regulators where they were like, where's Tether's money? What's going to happen? What does this mean for financial markets? So... As I started to look into it, I just couldn't believe that this coin that was seemingly so important basically appeared to be like the central bank of crypto, a key point in the infrastructure holding all these schemes together, had been founded by the Mighty Ducks guy. So in the book, I talk about, uh, I went down to a crypto conference in Miami and went to uh, a party at, at Brock's house or a house he'd rented for the conference. And it was truly just like the weirdest scene. Like everyone's just sort of milling about getting like drunk, drunker and drunker. Brock's not there. And when after I spend like a whole day there, Brock shows up and then immediately disappears. I catch up with him at another conference in the Bahamas. I hear from a friend of mine is like, hey, I, last night I was at the craziest party on this yacht. It was this mega yacht that this crypto billionaire bought from this Russian oligarch. And she's just showing me her Instagram. She shows me this video of, a, of him jumping off the yacht. And I'm like, oh, my God, Brock's here. So I text him. I'm like, can I come to your yacht? He sends a speedboat to the... <laughs> to yeah, pick to, you up? Yes, it was very... I'm Uber. not going to lie. It was very cool. But when, So when we finally talk and get into it and talk about Tether, um, at this point, he's sold his stake in the company. He says for no money. And he... It turns out to be kind of like a dead end. Like, he doesn't really know where this $50 billion is, but he's a really compelling interview. When we started talking about, like, the mystery and how, do you have any clues about how to find Tether's money? But <laughs> he's like, do not mess this one up. This could be your big chance. And I'm like, I totally agree. But also, what's going on here, Brock? Uh, <laughs> I don't think it, you, you guys are thinking of the chance in the same sort of outcome. Uh, Yes, I think what he was saying is that crypto is going to do huge things for the world, and if I'm just going to be like another hater, that's how I would yeah, screw right, it up. Right. Yeah, 
Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Tether ends up being the crux of the book, I would say. So much revolves around Tether and it coming things just leading you back to Tether. But one of maybe the more interesting avenues was with this character named Vicky, who I like to call your pseudo-girlfriend, maybe, because that's an interesting way to, to put it. So tell us who Vicky is, how that relationship developed, and then what that led you to. And this is, I mean, really, this was like such a great part of the book. One of the questions I have as throughout my like two years is, who's using Tether? One of the people I find who's using it a lot, I won't get, is Sam Bankman-Fried for his exchange FTX. But another thing I hear about is people, crooks are using this for like money laundering. And then one day I get one of those random messages that like everybody gets. It's just like a text message and it's just like, hey, David, like, how's it going? And I'm like, <laughs> your okay. name is not David. Yeah, I'm not David. And, and, and everyone else ignores these text messages. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's like, I think we got a story here. Yeah. I'm like, I was kind of like, <laughs> you know what? Let's see where this goes. And so I wrote back. I was like, I'm not David. I'm Zeke. But like, who are you? And she says she's Vicky. And Vicky from New York, right? From New York. Yes. And we kind of become pals. And she doesn't immediately let on to what her angle is. She's just telling me about herself, asking me what I like to do about my life. She asked me to send her a picture. It sounds like the typical catfishing scheme at first. Yeah. But it's not quite that, right? I was kind of playing along and waiting for this to happen. And it, what it is that she starts to let on that she's a great crypto trader. <laughs> like, she's learned some tricks from, like, her uncle or something. After, like, days of uh, chatting and where I finally had to be like, Vicky, I need 100 grand so I can get a Tesla. And then she was like, I'll let you in on my secret. <laughs> and she, this is what I really wanted, what I was waiting for. She has me download, like, a crypto trading app. That I had to like, she had struck, showed me how to sideload it on my iPhone. Like it wasn't from the official app store. And it looked like pretty legit, but this is how the scam works. They get you to buy Tether on a regular trading app like Coinbase or Crypto.com and then send it to this special app where you're going to learn how to use the like short term nodes. And like once you've sent the money to, it was called ZBXS. You, it appears to be in your account and everything, just like it would be on a normal app. And, like, if you make trades, they'll show you gains. They might even let you make a small withdrawal. But, like, really, once you've sent the tether over to ZBXS, it's gone. So, at this point, I feel like uh, I've gotten her tether address. And I feel like I've let this go on long enough. And I'm like, Vicky, I have to tell you, like, I'm an investigative reporter. I've been looking into these kinds of crypto scams and how they use tether. And I've heard some like disturbing things about what might be going on, which I'll get into. Can we talk about, can we get real here? And then Vicky just said, oh, no, 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 no. It's not what you think. And she disappeared. Yeah. I'm shocked. Yeah. So this is the real crazy part, which is that I learned from reports out of Cambodia that a lot of the people who run these kinds of scams are themselves victims. And it sounds like 
some sort of QAnon conspiracy theory, but they're victims of human trafficking. And there's actually these whole like office towers, floor after floor of people who've been, let's say they've been lured from say like Vietnam with the offer of like a good job and like customer service. Then when they get there, they're trapped. They're told they can't leave. They're beaten. They get electric shocks, other forms of torture, and they're just made, they're given like 10 phones each and made to like try to lure people into scams from around the world. So I suspected that Vicky was like one of these people and I wanted to like, I was hoping she would tell me more about like her working conditions or that even I might be able to like somehow help her, but no dice. So I, I start to go down this rabbit hole of these people, other people who've looked into this And there's actually this crazy organization of people who've been scammed who, instead of trying to get revenge, have made it their mission to help these human trafficked scammers. Through them, I meet a lot of experts who are working on this. One guy tells me that, a crypto tracing expert, he estimates that this accounts for like, that $10 billion has been lost this way and all using Tether. From these guys, I get connected with a YouTuber in Vietnam who's made it his thing that he pays ransoms to help people get out of these scam compounds. He connects me with some of the victims who he's helped rescue. And I start talking with them with a translator about their experiences. And I meet this one guy, Thuy, who had just gotten out of one of the most famous compounds in Cambodia. He tells me about just like horrific things. Like this, he's in this compound that holds some people say like five or six thousand people. Wow! And it's all in Cambodia. Yes, in Sihanoukville in southwestern Cambodia, and it's it's called Chinatown. Um, it's run by like Chinese gangsters. So I just, I've made arrangements with two reporters in Cambodia who had really been instrumental in exposing this problem and bringing it to light, and went over to out there to meet some of these victims and to see some of these compounds myself. Yeah, you know, and this is a scam that sounds like it's really would only be made possible because of crypto and because of the sort of, you know, no border transactions that are allowed with crypto. That's really what made me think it was so interesting because I, yeah, like there've always been these kinds of scams, but there haven't been such a, first of all, I mean, the crypto story makes it very plausible that, or at least mildly plausible, that someone like Vicky might have some secret trading secret. I mean, in the crypto yeah, world, yeah. like people are getting well, rich and quick. everyone's suffering from FOMO, like you said. You know, yeah. everyone's uh, thinking, you know, should I be in? Should I be in this asset class? Everyone else is seems to be making money. It's it's perfect timing for a scam like that. I feel weird just even thinking about it. But I'm getting when I would get to Cambodia with these reporters, Mech Duran, Danielle Keaton Olson, who had brought this Chinatown problem to light. Right at the entrance to Chinatown, there was a cash exchange store, and I could still see their like faded sign where they offered to trade Tether for cash. Uh. And like, I'd spent like years looking into crypto. I'm not seeing any place where it's actually used in the real world. But then like in Phnom Penh, I went to a currency exchange place that advertised Tether outside. I saw a bunch of these. And... I, you know, I had some tether on my phone, zapped it over to this Chinese guy working behind the counter. He gave me U.S. dollars, no questions asked. 
And finally, I'm like, oh, like this is what crypto is good for. There, that's <laughs> another part of the book that I wanted to ask you about, where you go to this money exchange and this man comes in with flip flops and pajama pants. He has this big plastic bundle of $100 bills. Yeah, so this currency exchange was in the capital in Phnom Penh, in the capital of Cambodia, in a sort of Chinese neighborhood. So the boss was Chinese. This other Chinese guy walks in, kind of like hungover, and just walks out with, yeah, this brick of hundreds that a clerk told me later was 50 grand. This is the... Tether exchange. Tether exchange. And I, since I sent some Tether to the exchange place, I got their wallet address and was able to see that they were making big transfers every day. And this is just one of many exchange places. And I've, I've visited another town that was reportedly home to a lot of these scam compounds with forced labor. I, it was the first place I saw in Cambodia. I crossed the border. I got off the bus. I'm at this town that's full of like scam compounds where I've seen videos of like workers getting beaten and right in the parking lot of one of these casinos, I see a little booth that's advertising trade your dollars for a tether, trade your tether for dollars. And I was just like, I don't know. It's not evidence of anything, but I'm like, so, you know, I think throughout the crypto boom, many people were aware or at least suspicious that, yeah, it's frequently used, crypto is frequently used to facilitate scams like this or make sort of this new version of these scams possible. But what caught a lot of people by surprise, I think Valdana and I included, and then many in the press, is that some of the players who were considered, you know, the righteous leaders of this movement were scam artists too, allegedly. And obviously the name that comes to mind is Sam Bankman-Fried. Uh, he really seemed to have the world convinced that he was just s- sort of this honest programmer who's building the infrastructure for crypto and you can trust him. He testified before Congress. You met Sam a, a few times uh, in the Bahamas uh, and I think one time in Miami too. Just talk to us about meeting him, your first impressions, and just kind of your reporting process with SBF. I met him first time at this first crypto conference I went to in Miami. He was there to have the Miami Heats Arena named after his company. He was not like quite so famous yet. And I just wanted to ask him some questions about Tether. Um, But as soon as I met him, I'm like, this guy is a really fascinating character in himself. He's 29 years old. He's worth like 20 billion. Um, But what really gets me going is that he tells me about, I mean, his shop-worn story about effective altruism. But like when this guy was a teenager at MIT, and I've talked with other people who knew him, like, I don't think this is made up. He was, uh, he was a vegan. He was an activist. He was like handing out animal cruelty pamphlets. Then he meets this philosopher who is, they're talking about life. Sam is like, how could I do something good for the world? And the philosopher is like, I got an idea. I mean, anyone can give out pamphlets. How about you get rich and give the money away? And he called this earning to give. He may, he decides to do that. And then 10 years later, when I meet him, he's legitimately one of the richest people in the world. Zeke, you've got one of the best BS detectors in the world. It feels like that, at least at the beginning, was genuine, do you think? This altruism? Yeah. So. Now that FTX has been revealed to be like a fraud and that users lost so much money, 
he's about to go on trial. A lot of people have questioned, did he ever believe any of that? Was it a scam from the start? I kind of think that it was true, that he really did want to make money to give it away, and that, in fact, his belief that he was a good person who was going to do good things for the world may have led him to take risks to do fraudulent things because he was like, if it's going to make me rich is justified because I might save the world from the evil robots that are coming. But yeah, so when I met him, I was suspicious of crypto, but I did not think, I thought it was a bit weird that he's supposedly this great guy, but he's running what's essentially like an offshore gambling parlor where like, I think people are all going to lose their money because like even day trading is a bad idea. Like it's proven to be a money loser. But I mean, you can be an honest broker running an offshore gambling parlor. Right. I, so immediately, though, I was really taken by his idea, because like you were saying, I've always talked with these scammers. I've actually even sort of had this idea that it would be kind of cool if somebody ran a scam for good and gave the money to charity. <laughs> and one of our first like in-depth conversations, I was talking with Sam. He hadn't given very much money away yet because... And he was like, listen, I've given away like a hundred million, but it's hard for me because so much of my net worth is locked up in the valuation of his private company, which I thought was like, come on, you can't borrow against it, but whatever. It was at least like a plausible excuse. But I was like, Sam, you have so much credibility in the crypto world. You could do a scam right now. You could probably make like several billion dollars, give it away right now. Wouldn't that be better than like, whatever you're working on if, it, if what you're working on is too slow and he was just like I think I could make more money in the long run being honest that checked out I was like you know he's you're probably right even if you could make a few billion with a scam I later went to go visit him in the Bahamas after FTX had collapsed but before the cops got there and he told me he was like there was one thing I wasn't totally straightforward with you about the first time we met. You know, I told you my net worth was 20 billion. If you like really looked at my net worth on paper, it was more like 100 billion. He had so much money to, of but all in these random coin cryptocurrencies, some of which like he'd invented. But I don't know, I think they the people these guys really all got uh, caught up in the craziness and who wouldn't? I don't know. <laughs> Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Zeke, your stories are so crazy that for the first time ever on What Goes Up, I think we're going to skip our craziest things and just keep hearing more of Zeke's stories. Yeah, because <laughs> it pales in comparison to some of this stuff that, that we're hearing. So the book, like you just told us like three or four great stories. There's so many more in the book. And what struck me is that you took part in a lot of this. Like you actually did, you know, like the trading with and texting with Vicky you also tried to buy your own NFT so you can get into a party 
that you ended up not having to need the NFT for, right? And I'm just wondering about like your real world interactions with the crypto industry, the crypto space, the, the people who are part of this the space, and maybe some of the shortcomings of what you experienced. You know, when you sent Vicky a hundred tether, you actually sent eighty one tethers because the fees were so high that the exchange took and etc. There was just so much of your experience being a part of this. Yeah, it was instructive to to try to use crypto myself. And I was kind of shamed into it because crypto people were always like, you can't, you're biased. You don't have crypto. You haven't tried it. How do you know about crypto? So I finally was like, all right, fine. You got me. I'm going to try it. And I bought a very expensive NFT, one of these cartoons that go for like hundreds of thousands of dollars. Mine was only 20,000. It was like a picture of a melting monkey. When I read this part, I, was, I literally was like, don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> yeah. I, if you got, get one of these, you're allowed to go to Ape Fest, which is like a week-long festival. But it was very instructive, this kind of boring part of just like buying this ape because the process of sending money from my bank to like crypto world was just like horrible. It was terrifying. And when I learned, essentially, if you know browser extensions like Adblock, the little icons next to the URL box in Chrome, it was like, oh, like my money is going to live there. And if I click the wrong button, it'll just be gone. I'm like, this is no fun. In the crypto app, it was a really popular one called MetaMask. And when you sign up, they have you watch this video where they're like, don't lose your password. We really mean it. In fact, for real, have it engraved on a piece of metal and then bury it in your backyard. <laughs> and I'm just like, first of all, no, I'm not doing that. I'm too lazy. And then when I got to ApeFest, it, there, it, this revealed like another problem with NFTs, which is that they're supposed to be cool. When I got to the club, everybody had a board ape. Mine was the cheapest one. And even like pimply teenagers were like, your board ape sucks. I even uh, was able to confront uh, one of the promoters of the board ape yacht club who really, this got very popular with celebrities. One of the celebrities that was like instrumental in getting it going was Jimmy Fallon. Yeah. He was there. Uh, but I was like, Hey, Jimmy, check out my board ape. He pretended to be interested. At this point, the value of board apes had recently gone down by like 50%. It had still had a long way to go. But maybe it was this party or a different party where you asked somebody, like, what is the, how can this be useful for the everyday person? And the person said to you, Why are you asking me this? Like, why do you care so much about that aspect of it? It's not that important. He was just like truly baffled. That was at a party for a different NFT thing called degenerate trash pandas i tried to go to one called solana monkey business that they were costing twenty five thousand at the time but i wasn't ready i was like i'm not paying for like a trash panda or like monkey business i want the one that justin bieber has and i but as soon as i got that board ape i was like i have to unload this like i couldn't sleep i was able to sell it after the ape fest at only a small loss. Yeah, Zeke, let me square the circle here a little bit and, and bring it back to Tether. You know, as we started at the beginning, this is sort of what drew you into the crypto rabbit hole. And 
and you and I have talked about this before, and and your original uh, Business Week story on on Tether is just phenomenal. You know, if, uh, I recommend people read the book, but also go back and read that original Business Week story. And I think you you had a line in there how Tether as a company seems to be like you know it's a, a, a carpet knitted out of red flags. Basically, you know, there was so much there to be suspicious of, and. Rightly so. You know, I, uh, no one knew where these reserves were. They said they invested in commercial paper. No one in the commercial paper market had ever heard of them. It just seemed so suspiciously. But the ironic thing is that so many things fell apart in crypto, FTX and Terra, you know, the Luna whole ecosystem and all the dominoes that fell afterward. Tether is still there. It's still, for most of the time, worth a buck. Walk us through sort of the story arc of Tether from where you started into where we are now and, and how you're thinking about Tether. You know, is all these red flags, what happened? Yeah, it was very surprising. I mean, I was not alone in thinking that they were like the most suspicious company in crypto. And like when I published after I'd investigated for a little while, I mean, there's a whole backstory of it's the boss of Tether, who's a former plastic surgeon from Milan who had like a weird career in the import-export business, but Tether was sued by New York's attorney general for misrepresenting its reserves. But in 2022, in the summer, when everybody's, all the other crypto companies started collapsing, really like a legitimately high percentage of all the people I met in crypto, their companies had were collapsing, but Tether stayed strong. And like, they still have not provided the like detailed accounting of their, res- of where they're keeping their money that the critics had asked for. But I mean, the way Tether works, you send money in, they send you these Tether tokens, and if you send the tokens back, they're supposed to send you the money back. And people, you can tell from looking at the blockchain, people, during the crash, people did send back in billions of dollars, billions of tokens, like five or 10 billion worth of tokens. And if those people did not get their money, we would have heard the complaints. Tether was able to send back a lot of money. Like they clearly had at least a lot of money and it kept growing to where now it's 70 or $80 billion that they have to the skeptics. They're like, Hey, just cause they had, if they may have had 5 billion, that doesn't mean that everything they're saying now is accurate. The owners of Tether are like, what more do you want from us? We redeemed like $10 billion, but the real plot twist for Tether came with interest rates. So their business used to be kind of a bad business. They were sitting on all this money, but they couldn't do anything with it. Theoretically, it would be in the safest investments yielding nothing. Right. And that's where, like, there were some questions early on that I think were legitimate. Were they taking some risks with that to juice their returns? Now, they can just put it in treasuries. It's a small operation. And these guys, if if their numbers now are accurate, they're saying they are put buying treasuries, and they're earning like billions of dollars a year. Like they're one of the most, if, if this is all accurate, Tether's one of the most profitable companies in the world. Like they're making more money than like Nike. It's, and it's just like this weird former plastic surgeon in Italy, buddy from the computer importing business. They are like the real winners of crypto. And I, when I went down to the Bahamas at, in, at the end, when Sam Bankman frieds company had collapsed, He was a big user of Tether. All these offshore casinos were. And I thought maybe now he'd let me in on the secret. I was like, so about Tether, you got, maybe now you can tell me the big secret. And he was like, no, 
Fildan, I think I'm going to petition to have my desk moved back closer to Zeke. Can you tell us what's next? What's next on the Zeke Fox uh, agenda? Honestly, I've, I only I wrote this book now because I felt I'd never felt like I'd found the right story, and I really don't know how I'm gonna how I'm gonna match it. He needs a vacation. <laughs> well, Zeke Fox, author of Number Go Up, and our good friend here at Bloomberg, uh, we could go on for hours, but I think uh, I think that's gonna have to do it. Zeke, thanks so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Ildana. What Goes Up will be back next week. Until then, you can find us on the Bloomberg Terminal website and app or wherever you get your podcasts. We'd love it if you took the time to rate and review the show so more listeners can find us. You can find us on Twitter. Follow me, at Vildana Hyrick. Mike Regan is at Reganonymous. You can also follow Bloomberg Podcasts at Podcasts. What Goes Up is produced by Stacey Wong and our head of podcasts is Sage Bauman. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.